Hey there, chitheads around the world, and welcome to another almost action-packed episode of Bored Chitless. I'm Lecky, and I'm joined by... Tristan! And this week we've been playing Vault of Dragons and Spirit Island. Now, before we get started with all that stuff, um, we just wanted to talk to you briefly about a Kickstarter campaign coming up through Hall or Nothing Productions. Tristan, you're in a better position to tell us what the hell's going on than I am. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for the opportunity to plug, Lecky. Yeah, so okay. in March, on March the 1st, we are launching our fifth Kickstarter campaign, and this is going to be for Shadows of Killforth, uh, which is a sequel to Gloom of Killforth, and it uses the same mechanics uh, and rules, but it's a completely standalone game. So you can either play it completely by itself. If you're a new player, it's a great way to enter the world of Killforth, as it were. Uh, or you can use it as an expansion to the existing game because it's going to have all new content, heroes, enemies, uh, encounters, items, ancients, and everything. So you can pretty much just shuffle it into your game of Gloom of Killforth and double the size of all your decks just to add loads of uh, variability to the setup and stuff. So dead excited about that. And that's going to be launching in less than a couple of weeks now, 1st of March. Excellent. And then, um, is there any information already on like hollandnothingproductions.co.uk or Board Game Geek? I understand there's a bit of a teaser video doing the rounds. Yeah, there was a teaser, but we've actually put up the Kickstarter preview. Like the main video now is on the Hollow Nothing website page. So go over there and check it out. Have a look at some of the artwork, uh, listen to some of the music. Francesca's amazing music for the game. And uh, it'll give you a real sense of how the game plays and stuff. Um, and yeah go and check it out we're on social media as well on facebook and twitter uh, just look for shadows of killforth excellent right i'm going to check that out and i strongly suggest that the listeners do too so the first game that we played this week was vault of dragons and it was a bit of an unusual week for me and tristan because we were the only people to turn up to the games night um what have, <laughs> what have you been saying to everybody while i've not been around uh, it's it's been a bit Game of Thronesy, lots of backstabbing and treachery, betrayals, assassinations. So um, there's nobody left now. Everyone everyone's dead. Is it possible that everyone's just had enough of our nonsense? <laughs> it could be. Oh, they okay. might have realised they they didn't want to do the podcast, and and that's why they didn't turn up. Oh no! Don't say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll just have to inflict it on uh, on all our listeners instead. So, uh, like like mentioned, um, we played Vault of Dragons. It's a Dungeons and Dragons board game, uh, not by Wizards of the Coast, but by Gale Force Nine, who um, have done a couple of other titles. Our Vault of Dragons is um, basically everyone's taken on the role of uh, water deeps, more nefarious factions. And you've all got to try and find a hidden vault under the city. So everybody's taking turns um, to explore Waterdeep, to build up a complete inventory of magical and sort of mysterious items. And then you're trying to try and complete dungeons to the point where you've revealed enough secrets to uncover the vault and take it out. Um, It was quite a lot of fun. How how did you enjoy this one, Tristan? Yeah, it's... For me, it felt really kind of uh, derivative of Lords of Waterdeep, which is a fun D&D, uh, D&D adventure game, basically, yeah. where you're playing as a bunch of backstabbing <laughs> Lords of Waterdeep trying to you know, cement your power by collecting victory points. Uh, and in this one, rather than Lords of Waterdeep, you're sort of, the, as you say, the shadowy factions working beneath the behind the scenes, the thieves' guilds and uh, mercenary guilds and stuff. So in terms of gameplay... It's still like an, uh, taking it in turns to play to play an action and spreading your influence across 
Waterdeep, but the main sort of thrust of it is, that, as you say, you're trying to find this vault which is hidden in Undermountain, which is this yeah. handy dungeon that just happens to be sitting beneath the city of Waterdeep. So from a gameplay perspective, each round you're trying to bring in rogues, the uh, rogues, fighters and mages to go on quests. So it's, in that respect, very similar to Lords of Waterdeep. Um, but you kind of, rather than collecting victory points, you're racing each other to find this vault and sort of power up your dudes and collect enough magic items to make them powerful enough to explore the dungeons. And so, but it, but there the sort of similarities end. So rather than just sort of uh, sending X number of warriors and wizards on a quest, in this one, you pick your team, but then you have to roll dice to overcome each quest. And depending on how many successes you got or how successful you were in exploring, that sort of dictates how many uh, yeah. treasures or magic items or gold that you'll get from completing the, uh, that quest. And you're also trying to collect secrets. So each time you complete a dungeon, you collect a secret. And if you get three secrets at the start of your turn, you can unlock the Vault of Dragons. And then that's like the, the super toughest dungeon. So as it played out, you and I were pretty much... Uh, toe to toe the whole time it felt like a lot of back and forth you you are directly attacking each other's dudes as well aren't you because yeah you contest each other for locations for the control of that location and if you control a location if you've got no enemy players on there you'll gain an income from it at the end of the round which is really good um but if it's contested you have to sort of fight each other to be the one that controls it so there's a lot more sort of direct attacks than there is in in lords of Waterdeep. in that respect it seems like they've learned a little bit from the tyranny of Tyrants of the Underdark. Tyrants of the Underdark, yeah. Even though that one's a bit, it's a lot more area control and influence based, isn't it? So you're trying to get spies into cities and then have yeah. a lot around the Tyrants away. is more, more like a, yeah, area control and deck building and stuff. But there's, there's still that sort of direct attacks on each other, which yeah. feature quite heavily which, in this, which. Oh, go on. Sorry. Um, I'd say a game like this really needs it. Um, because it, yeah. if it was just me and you racing for victory points, it'd get a bit stale, I think, whereas with us moving our um, our wizards and our rogues and our warriors around, it it kind of, you're always sort of like wondering if you need to shore up a particular location or you just try and second guess what the other person's going to do, if you can give up a location for a better one or not. And then you've got City Watch as well running around trying to beat everybody up, which is a nice little... Um, interesting way to just add a bit more dynamism dynamism to the game <laughs> yeah they, they're sort of like an ai aren't they that just sit there and, and block locations so yeah. they count as contesting a location straight away and you've either got to beat them uh, and scare them off or um just move on to another place so with two players there's like four of those guys uh, in 12 locations and it's quite a block um and so each player has their own uh, initiative ability as well so if you've got the initiative at the start of a round you get to activate an ability mine was to gain three gold but your, yours was to move the watch so you could effectively sort of block my locations by chucking the watch onto them which i i could yeah quite a, a nifty move but now that does rely on me having initiative which um <laughs> for a two-player game i found it incredibly difficult because i i was trying to collect rumors so i think it's the person that's got the most new rumors at the end of that round gains initiative um, I think but, no. I think that's that's the person who gets first dibs on the treasures. Ah, okay. The, the, so each round, the, there's an offering of treasures and magic items. The person with the most new rumors gets first dibs on those. But then at the end of the round, it's the person who controls the most locations. There we go. Has the initiative, um, and which you did for most of the time. But okay. I was lucky enough to get 
treasures that Janky. stole the initiative back. <laughs> <laughs> which is which was great though, because um for like a three or four player game, we'd all be fighting out on the location board trying to get that edge, and then you just kind of yeah. kind of get over the top of it um and it was a really nice mechanic i think it probably maybe played a bit quick in the game it came out in like the third round um so we both had a turn at initiative up until that point yeah um, and then you took it but to be honest i can't really complain about you using a game mechanic to um, you know <laughs> to your advantage because there was loads of other stuff that i was um, taking advantage of as well um one of them was the secret mysterious location where you can buy secrets. So you were doing it the good old-fashioned way where you were going through into the Undermountain and you were completing quests and gaining secrets. And then I'd just sneakily spend two magical items or um, I'd spend 15 gold and get a secret that way. So well, that's how I got two of my three secrets. And it felt you like just you just found a massive shortcut, basically, didn't you? Yeah. Well, you still have to kind of go out of your way to find the magic items in the first place, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Um, so it's just a different way of spending resources, really, where you was always going into the inn, spending money to send people into the quest, and then rolling for it. Um, and I just found a slightly easier way, but it, it worked to my faction's sort of um, theme um, because I can't remember the name off at the top of my head. I've not got the card as reference, but I was the sort of like shady underworld dark mysterious mercenaries and in the deal with the zentarin the zentarin there we go and in the law they're always kind of like the underhanded you know they're paying people off they're kidnapping wizards they're stealing research so i felt like i just played the faction very well um yeah you, you're definitely playing the baddies in this one aren't you i was i was the guys who worshipped asmodeus the god of the nine hells so, <laughs> and and you can be beholders or you can be the drow bregendaeth and um, so you're very much baddies <laughs> in in this game which is weird because for a dungeon explorer type theme um it wouldn't seem like you would have to be the bad guys but that that seems to be the what they've chosen basically yeah, but I think... I guess it's uh, an alternative to being like the Lords of Waterdeep. Well, that's it. I think Tyrants and Underdark showed us really that there is a big appetite for people playing baddies. And I know a couple <laughs> of people that um, in their campaigns, they're playing baddies. Um, so they're like, instead of being the hero adventurers that are trying to stop like the necromancer, you're the people that have been hired by the necromancer to kind of like help him get the magical items he needs and Raise it's more. way lace. Yeah. And I just think it's it's just a nice different way of looking at it, really. Um, and it keeps the D&D sort of theme alive as well. It's like if the IP was always your own adventurer doing something or you're always a goodie, you know, it's, people are going to get bored of it. So I think it was a good move. Cool. And how did you think it played out? Did you enjoy the mechanics and stuff? The mechanics were great, yeah. I felt like it took a bit of a while to get used to just because it is, it's very a new, much a new game. Uh, for D&D as Tyrants in the Dark was really so it was like completely different game mechanics there's a few sort of like mechanics you see quite often in terms of like the area control and the fetch and collect style of the quests but the way they all came together felt quite new and it was just really good fun I managed to sneak a win at the last round and it, I think I got in there just before you did and that felt really satisfying because the like you mentioned before, the dice rolls in this game, you just don't know which way they're going to go. You no. um, you get a small dice, a medium dice, or a big dice, depending on if you've sent in a warrior, a wizard, or a mage. So you roll in a d4, a d10, or a d12, unless you've got one of everybody, in which case you can roll three dice, one of each. 
Um, if you send in an extra wizard, then you can throw it, re-roll a dice. If you send in an extra rogue, I think you get an extra sort of body check dice, which means that you can use that as an extra success if you roll a skull. Um, so there's lots of ways that you can play it, but the best way of doing it is to just find so many magical items, which are like one-shot buffs, <laughs> that they'll let you roll an extra dice or they'll give you like a plus four or a plus two. So when I went in for the final vault for the Vault of Dragons, um, you needed 20 plus to succeed. And I ended up yeah. rolling like um, 16 off my dice. I got critical rolls straight away, which was brilliant. Um, so I only had to use one buff card, but I'd made sure before I went in there that it was mathematically impossible for me to lose that vault. I just had so many other cards I could have kept throwing out to add two, add four, do this to another dice and just manipulate a win, which is what you want in these sorts of games. You don't want to leave it just to look, which you can do. You can rush in there and hope for a win, but you can really like double down and hope to, you know, make sure it happens really. How did you find Yeah, you definitely, you, oh, you followed the sort of action selection um, yes. using the tools that you had to get the things that you wanted, like you did with the, the secrets to discover it in the first place, whereas I did the sort of classical... Uh, rolling for the win, sort of going on adventures and stuff. And and um, that was punishing in the end, I guess, is how I sort of fell behind a bit, um, which it leads me in two minds. First of all, I don't mind you winning. It was very close, obviously. Um, if you hadn't yeah. gone in that turn, I would have gone in the next turn. So exactly. it's cool that it sort of synced up, that we both had three secrets at exactly the same moment. But some of the mechanics felt like they were almost like, how do we get a D4 into this game you know how do we get the classic sort of dungeons and dragons dice into this game d10s and d12s and so it feels a little bit janky like with the with the thieves they roll a d4 and as you say a skull dice mm -hmm. which can add one to two extra successes so you or, or zero extra successes so you really sort of those extra successes that you can use to kill enemy uh, dudes on the map like you kill each other's mm. uh, characters but against the dungeon it's just an extra couple of points of success. So it's this really sort of bizarre thing where you've got a wizard can potentially roll a 12 and a rogue can potentially roll a 4 plus a 2, if you're lucky, kind of thing. And yeah. so the discrepancy is enormous. Like, you just wouldn't send in thieves by themselves because it would be impossible for them to win um, with the sort of dice that they have. So they have to be buffed up by the wizards and the warriors and stuff. So there's this weird sort of juggling the math of the dice potentials yeah. to get the right combination of dudes to go in and, and have the adventure. But then, of course, if you roll like a natural 12 like you did, you've, you've won the game. So it's it's kind of like... Um, but as you say, you, you would have had all the the treasure cards and magic item buffs to throw in there as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of strange. I think I prefer Lords of Waterdeep in terms of like the cleanness of the game design and the gameplay and also i don't know the rulebook itself um is written in a very strange way like it almost like english isn't the first language or it wasn't proofread it's got like sort of it'll give you four bullet points of like this is what you do during a phase and then the names uh, it'll be like i, I haven't got the rulebook to hand but it might yeah. be something like um collect income um will be one of the phases and then you'll go to the bigger description of how you collect income and it's like collect uh revenue or something and right. and it's just really inconsistent the language throughout the rule book is really off uh, and strange and so you get these concepts introduced and then the, they sort of almost rename the concepts as they go which for a dungeons and dragons title is really quite you know yeah, uh, jolting because nice. you expect it to be totally polished 
like with the like with Lords of Waterdeep and, and the D and D games. But obviously, yeah. this is Gale Force Nine. I'm not massively familiar with them, uh, so maybe they're not like a, a UK or US based company. But uh, but that was really strange. But it didn't it didn't really stop us. I, I think from getting to grips with the game, there are quite a few sort of exceptional rules as well that you have to remember. So um, it. I'd done a quick solo run through to try and digest the rules, but also whilst we were playing, there was quite a lot of referring to the rule book to just clarify things that aren't summarised anywhere, like wizards. It turns out if you use two wizards in a dungeon, the second wizard gives you a re-roll on a die of your choice, uh, which is which is kind of like, because it's not referenced anywhere or referred to, yeah. it's just something you just have to remember. So there are little weird things like that, but... The way it all comes together, you know, if you do grok it and you do process all of those little exceptions and stuff, it does provide for a fun and tense experience. And you do feel like you're in it right to the end. You know, it doesn't feel like uh, anyone gets too far ahead of the other player sort of thing. Or it didn't in that game anyway. Well, it felt it, it certainly felt well balanced in that sort of respect. But like you're saying, like the sort of the end of the game, it would be nice if once I'd completed the vault, then you've got until the end of that round to also complete the vault. And then there's like some sort of like showdown because we're competing factions. We're all evil. It makes good thematic sense that like, you know, it's not just the first person to the cup. Once you get to the cup, fight for it. And then the person that wins that battle maybe wins the game. Defend your titles. Yeah, because it did feel sort of like considering how much effort we both put into winning the game. It did feel a sort of like not anticlimactic, but a bit like, oh, now that's the end. And there's nothing you can do about it, <laughs> which goes against like the rest of like what the game's about in terms of like, you know, the back doors into the undermountain um, that you can find on the map or the fact that you can, you can bribe people to get these secrets. So why not yeah. just have a win condition where more than two people can get to the end and then do something about it. Um, it'll be interesting to see, cause we didn't go through all the deck of magical items I don't know if there's also a haha, but I got there to it first, sort of like get that card <laughs> that pulls victory away from you. Because there's, there's a few bits and pieces where um, you can really do over the other player. Like you um, cast a spell that meant that I couldn't roll any dice um, from wizards, which considering they've got the biggest um, sort of like um, value range, that really kind of like hurt me. So I had to retreat quickly. Um, so there's, there's yeah. lots of like take that in the game. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see a bit more of it at the end, just to me, because it, it could all it's going to do is make victory all the sweeter if you do manage to like keep hold of it, or you manage to you know steal the vault from somebody else. But it's it's a fairly minor criticism really for the game as a whole. Yeah, no, it's 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 quite a very specific sort of win condition. After all, after everything you've built and after all the quests and things that you've been on, it does basically come down to who gets the first dibs at you know, rolling at that dungeon sort of thing. Um, But I I guess that also um, separates it quite a lot from Tyrants of the Underdark and Lords of Waterdeep because those games, you're spending the whole game working towards collecting your your salad, your your victory point salad, as Dave (laughs) would call it, um, to to get the win. Whereas in this, you're pretty much building for that one move where you have to get into the vault, you have to win it, and, and then you... You claim the game, so it's it's very much a different dynamic, and I guess in that respect, deserves its own place uh, in the sort of canon of D and D games. Yeah, I'm just in the in the wash. I'm just not sure when I'd choose it over Lords of Waterdeep or Tyrants of the Underdark. Um, I I don't know. It, it was a fun experience. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it depends. It, it, I think it falls down to what sort of game that you enjoy playing. If you, I'd imagine, if you wanted something that was a bit 
like um, a bit like you know the Pathfinder adventure card game. It, it it feels a bit similar to that. You know, you, you're jumping around locations, but also you're then doing more in terms of what felt like the combat. Um, it could maybe be a new game that you could explore instead of another Pathfinder set, as opposed to being something that you play instead of Waterdeep or um, Tyrants in the Dark, because I think I'd much rather play Tyrants in the Dark to this one, even though they are different games. Um, I feel like it's just a, a better implementation. And Lords of Waterdeep is just an absolute stalwart. I think that'll get to the point where it's 50 years old and people will still be playing it, a bit like Risk, you know. It might not be, <laughs> yeah. might not be the right choice, but it's definitely a valid one. Yeah, no, they're just. I think they're just cleaner designs. They're more solid and uh, more reliable. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a game experience. And probably, I'm not, I'm not trying to detract too much from Vault of Dragons. It just for what it does, I'm not sure how much it adds to what they've already established with those other two games. It does give you a different theme to explore, and uh, you get to be the baddies again, like in uh, Terrence of the Underdark. Um, and it's got that separate win condition, and and, and the actual game. Like the turn-to-turn gameplay is is fun. You know, you're oh, yeah. constantly generating gold and uh, collecting treasures and sending your dudes out to have fights and stuff. Your actions aren't always going to be perfect. Like in Lords of Waterdeep, every action you do gives you something guaranteed. Whereas in Vault of Dra- Dragons, you might fluff a roll and that's kind of actually made your position worse through one of your actions. You know, I might attack you yeah. and you drive me off so, in fact, you, you're not only not achieving anything with your action, you're setting yourself further back. So there's there's that extra dynamic to sort of bear in mind when I was playing as well, which is kind of a, another cool thing to to juggle as you go along. Um, but it it could also be inferred the other way that, you you know, you could be victim of rubbishy dice rolls. Or like you said, the other player plays a card on you where you're like, you just, your wizards aren't involved, so you have, you, there's no way you're going to win kind of thing. Um, but again, they have to collect that card in the first place and they'll have to have succeeded at a quest or whatever to to get hold of that treasure exactly. so it kind of all balances out in the wash you, you, have, you have to adapt to the situation it's the name of the game really it's just uh, how agile yeah. can you be well there, there you go you know, vault of dragons if you've if you've not explored too many of the uh, dungeons and dragons games uh, it's definitely worth looking um go and check it out game where it sees each player take over a different spirit overlooking an island that's been overrun by colonists um what how would you sort of like describe the game mechanics tristan (laughs) nice yeah uh so it's one to four player co-op and you're it's like the reverse of other games of its ilk where normally uh, in archipelago games like that you'd be exploring and colonizing and developing your civilization across new lands and stuff and the designer makes a big point is in fact, dedicates a whole page of the rules to his reason for designing a game is that he wanted to reverse that it was like you know with all these games where you're expanding your civilization into some native lands what about ones where the natives aren't too happy about it and they're actually rebelling back against the explorers so in this game you're playing as the sort of nature spirits of the island um, defending its local people the Dahar so you could play as the spirit of water or the spirit of earth or the spirit of lightning 
and what's happening is the game is generating um, conquistadors or explorers moving into your lands every turn and, and then ravaging them and building their cities and these uh, corruption or blight producing um, urban centres whilst you're playing as these benevolent uh, or supposedly benevolent sort of nature spirits that are driving them back and trying to scare them off. So you're trying to create fear, you're trying to wipe them out with floods yeah. and fires and earthquakes and all that kind of stuff. So it sort of flips that dynamic on its head and the way it plays, it's quite brain burny. It's, it's very, yeah. very puzzly. Um, so, and and it's, it's interesting. It's a good puzzle. It's... Um, obviously takes its cues from Mage Knight in terms of the way that you can use cards and stuff. But the, the big sort of conceit is that you, on your turn, you generate an amount of energy which allows you to play a certain number of cards, um, and those cards will trigger elements that you produce, like lightning, earth, uh, sun, moon, all these different yeah. elements. And you can combine those together to trigger a list of special abilities that you have in your character board. And the more you play the more you'll develop your powers and the more elements you'll be able to trigger. And when you play your cards, they're either slow or fast. And, and this is huge. If they're fast, they'll trigger straight away. So you could maybe wipe out a village or, you know, scare off some conquistadors or they'll be slow, which means you put them into play, but then the AI gets to act and they'll spread and ravage the lands and produce towns and stuff. And then your abilities trigger after they've activated, which might change the board state depending on how they act that turn and where they explore into and stuff. So you'll get, like, um, through the play of cards from the AI, you'll get an indicator of where they're likely to attack and build, and you have to concentrate your focus on that. But if you're too slow, they'll build more than you're able to wipe out on your go. So you've kind of got to keep them in check. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest danger is that in, in any location, if there's either two conquistadors or a town or a city they'll do enough damage to create blight and the blight tokens go onto the board. And if there's two, if you run out of blight games over, basically you lose. So the object of the game is to wipe out all of the towns and cities and conquistadors. But the more you play and the more you achieve, the easier that objective gets. So it'll go from, um, it'll go down to, you don't have to wipe out the conquistadors and then it'll go down to, you only have to get rid of the cities is like the final sort of easiest objective. So you kind of keep it, trying to keep them in check, trying to stop them from spreading too much. Uh, and with the co-op play, you're sort of trying to help each other, boost each yeah. other up a little bit with your card play as well. So you had cards that gave me energy and I had cards that could sort of uh, attack your, the conquistadors and villages that were building on your lands. Yeah. And we had to sort of um, juggle that with our own little puzzle board of what's going on in our own <laughs> section of the island. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to be thinking about. There's a lot of um, options in the game. Each turn you get to grow your spirit in a different way, whether it's add a new card to your hand or gain more energy or put more influence down on the board, which, and the more influence you have on the board, the more holy sites you can create and holy yeah. sites give you different card options again. So, um, and we were playing the basic game. We weren't even playing with, there's like advanced options for specific civilizations that are conquering you, like the evil English oh, wow. or the evil uh, Danes or, or whatever that, that are coming into the land and they have their own rules again. 
Um, but we didn't even get that far. We were, we were still wrestling with like the basic game, basically. Yeah, it was, um, it was sort of like very different, wasn't it? Because like you're saying, you've got like your hand management with all your skills and abilities. And then they'll all, like the conquistadors will all move in different ways. And you're, you've got like a sort of, um, it's like a bit of an AI mechanic, isn't it? Where you reveal where the conquistadors appear, then that'll move up to where they build. Yeah. And then that will, the same location will move up to where they ravage. So you know where they're sort of acting and where they're moving around and you're still trying to react to it. Uh, but sometimes it was just seemed a bit painful with like, you just sat there knowing that you can't react quick enough or you can't quite block <laughs> or you, you know they would have already put a town there by the time you can kill off the other person. And what I liked about the game, like you were saying, was the fact that with it being a co-op, we were helping each other out. I was sending you energy every now and again. But you were also speeding up my actions. I think that was your special ability. So I had, oh, yes. I had all these yeah. really good actions that would create quite a lot of damage or move a lot of people around so we can manage them but they just happen slowly and then you can all of a sudden it'd be like right no you can do that now it's like brilliant and we really managed the um, game state from that point of view but then we, they were just still they still they just keep coming and it was <laughs> it got to the point when it's a cooperative game but we played um it must have been a round or two in complete silence like we knew what the other person was getting up to and we were just kind of concentrating on how we were kind of like supplement that. It was a, it was a very sort of strange experience, but not it, was, it wasn't one that wasn't fun. It was just very, very different, especially following um, Fall of Dragons. You know, it felt like going from a light snack to a full course meal very quickly. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's it, there's so much going on and there's no sort of real point where you're like, yeah, we've got this now, you know, we've got this under control because the second you think that the, uh, the, the baddies, the explorers will suddenly start exploring into multiple different location yeah. types. So they'll just swarm across the map kind of thing. And if you've not kept your Island in check until that point, it can rapidly spiral and, and, you know, you find yourself out of control, but there are also other cool mechanics. Like each time you destroy a town or a city, you generate fear, and you have cards like my card because I was like lightning and fire storms yeah. and stuff. My cards would generate fear. Yours was a bit more sort of languid and slower to build, but more effective in the long term. Like you'd do, you you'd save up a turn and then do mega damage yeah. sort of thing, like tsunamis or whatever. Um, but each time you generate fear, you, you create fear tokens, which create a fear state reflected by a card that you flip over. And that will batter the enemies for you as well in different ways. Like it will scare them out of locations or it will wipe them out completely and stuff. And that fear gets more effective the further into the game you get. So even though your card play sort of limits how much impact you can have on the board state, you've got this other mechanic, this other fear thing that you're constantly growing, like trying to drive them, psychologically drive them away. Um, and that's a really nice touch as well because it's almost like, Oh yeah, forgot we've got this bonus thing that's going to happen this turn as well. Now you know that we've you can either work towards or sort of generate on the fly without really realizing. Yeah. Um, so it's another it's another sort of resource that you get to use against the explorers. Um, now one thing I will say about this game that put me off picking it up for ages is the artwork of the island is awful it's like this there's four different location types like wetlands jungle mountains and sands and they're all a sort of standard uh like bitmap <laughs> pattern yeah um which is really 
on the board it's just it's such a shame because it, with beautiful artwork this would be probably one of the most compelling games I think I've ever seen um, but with the artwork being such as it is the, I mean the player boards are okay the, the sort of spirits images are, are okay there's sort of cartoony renditions of who you are like lightning yeah. uh, beast or whatever but the, the player board itself is so weird it's like there's a flip side to it as well where you can play a, a more thematic implementation of the island where They've said, basically, you can play this version, but it's harder to read because the, because the colours are sort of more thematic yeah. and it's all green and brown. It, the game is much harder to read that way, so we suggest you use the, the brightly coloured side, <laughs> which is almost like, well, why don't you just design it in a way that it does work, you know, and, and just have that as a, a standard option? Because, sure enough, you do flip it over and the, the graphic design doesn't get that much better, but it does get a lot more yeah. complex. There's There's more options, there's more... There's different like starting layouts and stuff, but it's still a fairly uh, hard to look at board. And then the components themselves, you've got like plastic pieces for the for the baddies and sort of wooden bits for the goodies. And they're they're okay, they're functional, um, but they're not particularly interesting, you know, to look at. So for this for this game that's sort of all about spirits and nature and you know all the sort of wonderful landscapes that you could have in spirits yeah. and nature it just feels like a real missed trick if they'd if they invested more in um the the presentation of that it it could be a genuinely beautiful game um and i feel like in that respect it's such a shame it just falls short because as i said that's what put me off picking up for so long and as it turns out the gameplay for this is right on my street this i love this kind of puzzly sort of um cooperative yeah. gameplay it's it's uh, mage knight is one of my favorite games and this is almost like a, a few elements, the card play they've taken from Mage Knight and a little bit of the sort of the location types. Um, but the way it's implemented is very compelling and you can't quarterback it, but you can't be like, people talk about the <laughs> alpha player sort of thing. You can't do that because you can't be abreast of everybody else's situation as well as yeah. your own because you're too busy scratching your head trying to figure out how to get the, uh, you know, the damned conquistadors out of your own territory. So... Um, yeah, there's, there's enough going on to keep you occupied. There's, there's far too many variables for quarterbacking. Um, it's like, God help you, if you can get so involved in the meta of the game where you know what possible decisions someone's making for like swapping out cards at any given time, then, you know, you should be working for, um, you know, uh, <laughs> like some sort of intelligence services. Um, it, it was interesting you brought up the sort of like graphic design and the illustrations, um, because like you said, it's all over the shop. There's some very strange design choices made when it came to picking the artwork and to um, like signing off some of the things. So you mentioned the game board, which doesn't need any more sort of talking about. Um, but like just the artwork for the game, you look at the game box and it completely missells the game. It doesn't at all <laughs> say sort of like, you know, puzzle-based strategy, strategy. It looks more like an adventure game. Um, it reminds me a bit of like, you know, like Forbidden Island, that sort of stuff where you think you look at yes. it and you think this has got to be a family game. You know, pick it up, play it with kids. There'll be some sort of element of like dice rolling, a bit of card management and we're off jumping around having crazy foolishness and you open it up and you couldn't be any more wrong really. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that people judge a book by its cover and buy games based on it, but it doesn't do anything to help the actual experience of the game it, it, it's almost the other side of the side of the table and the only thing that i can think of what is why 
it looks like this is because it's sort of current, it's new, um, it's very fashionable. Like the, the artwork itself is beautiful in some circumstances, like you mentioned, like the spirit cards, some of the um, power effects cards look really nice. The cover, um, I think it's, it's a really nice piece of artwork. It just isn't suited for the game. And it, it doesn't let the game down. But I think there'll be a few people that will pick this game up for like a present. And it's going to end up going straight to the charity shop, unfortunately, because they might have just misjudged it. Um, I'd, it'll be great to know if I'm wrong about this. And other people are like, no, it's got absolutely no bearing on it whatsoever. But to me, it just seemed a bit... Like a bit crazy how different the gameplay is compared to what the game looks like. Rant over with that one. Um, <laughs> um, we it we've got the play time here of about 120 minutes on the box, which seems about right. We, we take a bit longer with learning the rules as well. Um, it was our first playthrough, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, but I think you you picked it up pretty. F- quickly um yeah. I, I think the actual gameplay concepts are really laid out well the rule book is pretty cool for that it's it, it does occasionally introduce concepts and then sort of explain it a bit later on but actually it's really nicely laid out and it's got um sort of examples and stuff to keep you going and because some of it can be a bit head scratchy but then with the examples it's like oh yeah i get it um so in terms of gameplay, I didn't give a massive overview before we started. I just sort of set it up and jumped you straight in. Yeah. And I think the any delay in the gameplay is what we would have if we played it again, which is <laughs> your actual strategizing of what you're going to do on a given turn. Because it's not it's not massively complex. Like what you're doing from turn to turn is fairly uh, obvious, but it's lot, sort of how you go about doing that with the cards that you've got. Um, and I think that's great because it means the barrier to entry in terms of getting into the nuts and bolts of the gameplay is is quite low once you've digested the rules. So we didn't have like a big 20 minute and this is what you're going to be doing and this is what they're going to do and this is what we need to do together to work. It was just, here's your cards, pick them up, um, try and get the baddies yeah. <laughs> and, and sort of solve for X. Kind of thing. <laughs> and, and I kind of left you to it with that, but, but you picked it up really quickly and... and Sure enough, there were game the returns very early on where you'd picked what you were going to do, and I'm still scratching my head, going, "Oh, what's the best way of optimizing this particular turn? I can't work it out." So, um, I think that's a, a real big selling point as well. And you always feel like you're contributing. You always feel like you're doing a fun thing, yeah. and gaining stuff. It's never quite enough. You will never have quite enough energy to do the turns that you want to do. You'll never have the new cards, the new powers that you're growing. You'll never get them fast enough. Um, but that way it sort of gives you this slow, gradual build to becoming this unstoppable force of nature, which is finally going to wipe these <laughs> evil <laughs> conquistadors off the land. Yeah. So, um, yeah, once you've sort of grokked the, the mechanics and stuff, it does tell a nice little story um, whilst providing this great strategy experience. And, um, and in that respect, it succeeds magnificently. I, I'm really impressed with the game and I look forward to trying it with the more expanded rules even the player boards it suggests you choose the low complexity ones to start with which yeah. is what we had the sort of basic earth basic fire type spirits but there are more complex and involved boards that you can use as well so you know i look forward to giving them a whirl and seeing what more depth and complexity that adds to the game as well yeah i'd be really interested to try that again um it was an interesting sort of 
game win for us because we did beat it, but it was a skin of our teeth moment. And there was certainly a lot of turns that I took where I could have maybe, you know, optimized it a little bit more, but that, you know, you, that just comes with learning a game and also with like, you, you got to try stuff out and sometimes you might pick up the wrong power. You learn minor powers and then you start getting these major cat powers that are brought in and you have to then forget a power. And if you choose the wrong one to bin, then that can really like mess up your strategy. So there's a lot going on. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Would come back to this one. And like you're saying before, really, you just alluded to it a bit where the game really nails that balance of making sure that you have complete control over your turns and you can do pretty much anything that you want to, but make sure you've got very little control of the game state. So things are going to evolve and move out regardless of the decisions that you make and you have to adapt and you have to change your play style and kind of like, think strategically and logically around these problems and overcome them and i think i think it's yeah. a great a great game for that um so yeah definitely very excited to get back on it and give it another go with a couple more people hopefully yeah i'd like to see how it plays with up to four as well and i do imagine the playtime will go right up because it'd be you know four brains <laughs> being scratched at once um but i think it would offer a load more like with, when we were boosting each other with those powers, it would be cool to see that going four ways as well, yeah. you know, and seeing how everyone can come together to sort of um, tackle the, the threats yeah. at hand. And also you all lose the game collectively if one of you gets wiped out. So that would be something to really keep conscious of, keep everyone in the game at once. Which could quite easily happen. It almost happened to me until we both rallied and kind of like stopped the rot. Um, we man- it got yeah. to the point when at one point, I think we were just managing Blight, which was interesting. Um, it was, yeah, so so many different parts of this game could go wrong, and so many other parts of it can go right. That it yeah, it made a lot. It was a lot of fun for me. Okay, then, well, Spirit yeah. Island, strongly recommended. Yep, strongly recommended by both of us. There, go and check it out. Um, don't listen to the artwork, but make, inform your own opinion based <laughs> on the game itself. Okay, well, that's. I'm sure lots of people love the artwork, and they'll be like, "What are you talking about? It's amazing." Yeah, it just it just feels a bit like it's not bad artwork. It just feels a little out of tone. Um, I think yeah. I think it needs to be a bit more serious, but maybe that's just me just being like, maybe maybe I should just lighten up. And it's like, see, this <laughs> game's kind of fun at work, guys. God, what are you talking about? Right then. Well, <laughs> we've um, we've been asking people to review the podcast on iTunes, and a couple of people have rallied through with us. Um, so we just wanted to give a quick shout out to one of the many people that have reviewed us. It's a very famous person. It's Mr. Alan F. Partridge. Um, so not sure if it's a legitimate handle or if it's just somebody using a bit of a pseudonym. Um, but thanks very much for your five stars. We really appreciate it. If people can make the way to iTunes and give us a rating, it'll really help us out in terms of listenership. Um, if you don't want to do that and you listen to us on SoundCloud, then you could subscribe to us or just share a link to one of the podcasts to some of your mates. Anything that you can do to mean that we get a few more plays, which means that we can just feel a bit better about ourselves and our egos um it'll be dead nice (laughs) (laughs) so thanks very much for that um thanks for joining me tristan and uh you know a bit of an unusual podcast recording session and thank you very much yeah it's been fun nice ones see you bye-bye